the midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast. I had completely forgotten about that, that Amani Hooker pick six I just played in the open. That was the pick six to open Iowa's demolition of Ohio State back in 2017, which, if you remember, that ultimately kept Ohio State out of the college football playoff. Remember, they had lost to Oklahoma early. I think that game was at home that year. It was the second half of the, the home-and-home with Oklahoma. They lost to Oklahoma early and then finished 11-2 and with the Big Ten Championship win over Wisconsin, when Wisconsin was also a playoff threat. But then Ohio State finished fifth behind that 11-1 Alabama team that didn't even win the division. 55-24 Iowa in that game. I remembered that game very, very well. I had just completely forgot that it started with a pick six. Staying with Iowa here, I'm going to have Sean Bach, 24-7 sports, Hawkeye insider 24-7, on the show in a bit to talk some Iowa football, break down what has happened over the last week, where Chris Doyle stands, where Kirk Ferentz stands in this, uh, looking forward to this season, looking forward beyond this season. And after James Daniels launched what has become an and unusual, I guess, at least unusual for for those outside the program, for those of us at 10,000 feet. After Daniels launched everything with the one tweet about the culture issues, the racial issues within the Iowa football program, after that happened, I started going back through, through Ference's career down a rabbit hole. He's now the longest tenured head coach in the FBS, just before Gary Patterson a year later, and then no one else is even close to that. Those two, Patterson and Ference, well ahead of Mike Gundy, well ahead of Frank Solich, Kyle Whittingham, all three of those before the 2005 season. Anyways, this is something that I stumbled upon a few years ago that I thought would be interesting to share again. And any Iowa fans dropping by the show today probably already know the details of this. Even if you do, there's one extra piece I want to share with you at the end that you might find amusing if you if you haven't seen it yet. After Bob Stoops' retirement from Oklahoma a few years back, and me as somebody who's obsessed with coaching searches, specifically the searches that, that didn't happen, or I guess the hirings that didn't happen. I mean, you look across college football history, and it's all about the coaching hires that are shaping these programs, right? We've all heard the Rich Rod Bama story a thousand times. He was leaving West Virginia to Alabama. That was done. It was all confirmed and done, and then he just didn't go. Bama then hires Nick Saban. That worked out pretty well. Even in college basketball, you look at that, the widely told story of John Wooden, who was at Indiana State at the time, he wanted that Minnesota job in 1948 when he went to UCLA. As the story went, he had the 6 p.m. call with Minnesota, the job that he wanted more than anything else that year, but he also had a call scheduled for 7 p.m. with UCLA. So he had the 6 o'clock call with Minnesota, 7 o'clock call with UCLA, and made it very known that he was leaving Indiana State for another job, most likely one of these two, if they were offered and he wanted Minnesota. But because bad weather knocked out the phone lines in Minneapolis, that call never came, so he took the UCLA call and accepted that offer instead, and then when Minnesota got a hold of him later on, it was either that night or the next day, 
he had already accepted the UCLA offer and wasn't going to go back on it. So I'm getting down the rabbit hole again here, but I got into this because I think that the Iowa search back in, it was November, December, 1998 is absolutely fascinating with Hayden Fry's retirement. And Bob Stoops was, was the guy there. I mean, he played at Iowa. He started his career at Iowa. And at the time in November, December, 1998, he was a defensive coordinator at Florida and he wanted the Iowa job. So he had the Iowa interview scheduled, uh, but right before he went up there, he also accepted an interview requ- interview request at Oklahoma, which happened to be scheduled a couple of days before the Iowa interview. So he does the Oklahoma interview, right? He's offered the job. He doesn't give them an answer. He doesn't accept it. He doesn't reject it. He just says he needs to talk with Iowa first. And the offer stays on the table from Oklahoma, but he doesn't accept it. He said, I got to go to Iowa. But Iowa, whose AD at the time was Bob Bowlesby, you know him now as the Big 12 commissioner, but Stoops wasn't their final interview at Iowa. Bowlesby still had a scheduled interview with Kirk Ferentz, and even though Kirk Ferentz was known generally in the local circles, he was on Hayden's Fry staff. Again, if Iowa fans, they'll probably remember this at least a little bit. He was on the staff for almost a decade. But remember, this is the 1980s. He was there from... Let's see, 81 to 89. This is in the 1980s where an offensive line coach in the 1980s not getting a whole lot of pub, not even getting any really local attention that much for the offensive line coach in the 1980s. So even though Ferentz was there, again, from 81 to 89 as offensive line coach, most people looking through newspaper articles in the days after Ferentz was hired, it seemed like most people didn't even know who he was. He had left Iowa to to be the head coach at Maine in 89 and had a couple NFL stops and was offensive line coach for the Ravens when Iowa called in 1998. So anyways, Bob Stoops interviews, but Bob Bob Bowlesby doesn't offer him the job. He says that he wants to talk to Ferentz first. So Stoops doesn't wait. He just goes back to Oklahoma and takes that offer, which, to be fair, has been reported that it was far more potentially double the salary. And ironically, after Frank Beamer then retired a few years back or several years back now, those two, Stoops and Ferentz, ended up being the longest tenured head coach in the FBS. And this is my favorite part that I mentioned. This is my favorite part of the entire thing. There's an article in the Oklahoman from September 1999. This is available uh, online. Google, you'll figure out how to get there. After Iowa got blasted by Nebraska in the season opener in 1999, they had one win that season. They got blasted in the season opener. This was the quote from, again, in the Oklahoman, but this was a quote from a business owner from Iowa City saying, the whole thing was absolutely sickening. He's referring to the the coaching search. The whole thing was just absolutely sickening. The University of Iowa had an opportunity to bring one of their own people back into a head coaching position with the credentials Bob Stoops had, and we turned our back on him. We let a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity get away from us, and it's going to prove out. This is what he says here at the end. You mark my word, Bob Stoops is going to win a national championship at Oklahoma. A year later, Bob Stoops won the national championship at Oklahoma. I mean, it's definitely interesting thinking of an alternate universe in which he, I do this all the time. I did this with Tom Herman. What happened if he would have gone to LSU instead of Texas? What happens if Nick Saban hadn't left for Miami? That kind of stuff. How does that impact all their coaching searches? So if you live in this alternate universe in which Bob Stoops actually goes to Iowa, he's offered the job on the spot by Bowlesby and accepts it, then Ference doesn't, and then Oklahoma, it was widely reported that Dennis Francione was the second second choice there. 
he was their second choice. Franchione, then the TCU head coach, who also coached at Alabama, uh, Texas A&M, Texas State. Look at all these these potential scenarios. Rich Rod at Alabama, Bob Stoops at Iowa. I mean, Gary Patterson wanted the Minnesota job before they hired Tim Brewster. Okay, I have Sean Bach here from 24-7 Sports to talk about Iowa football. And Sean, did the comments from James Daniels and others come as a surprise to you? Was there any sense of rumblings before this of what type of issues that, that Iowa football had internally? I think you hear stories about kind of just the intensity that the program said, obviously with a guy like Chris Doyle, the most paid or the highest paid strength and conditioning coach in the country, you know that they were probably not necessarily racist stories involving like racial disputes or disparities or whatnot, but definitely ones where he maybe like got a little, a little too intense. I mean, it happens when you, when you're that successful, you kind of, I mean, in that, in that sort of setting with that sort of job, I feel like it's kind of your job to get a little intense. Now it's totally inappropriate to really go above, above the line. Like Doyle allegedly did multiple times during his time at Iowa. But I think um, just kind of the stories I heard prior to that, not necessarily were like that serious, but I think the ones that kind of came about um, the other day were a little, were a lot more serious. And we actually, we actually received word that, something was going to happen later that night. I think we, I think it was around like five o'clock. We got a text or a call from a couple of sources saying like, Hey, like expect this to happen. We don't know how big it's going to be, but it seems to be to the point where it could, it could make national headlines and a few. So we were, we were on standby for that. And then a few hours later, Jane Daniels came out and then a couple more players came out and it all started to be like a little domino effect. Um, to the point where Iowa Kirk Ferentz had to release a statement later later that evening, kind of addressing the issue and like, hey, we're looking into it. Um, and then more and more players started to come out. I think there was like a total of like 40 to 50 players that came out at one point or came out over that whole period. And then a couple parents got involved, former parents of former players. I know Akram Wadley's mom was on Facebook live this morning, um, kind of talking about her son's experiences and just stuff that she's heard throughout the program. So it's kind of been, it's been a crazy couple of days. <laughs> That's for sure. I mean, today it's slowed down a little bit, but over the weekend and then into Monday, it was, it was pretty crazy. I mean, I think there's still some more stuff that com- could come out. I'm not saying that for sure, but I think it's definitely a possibility um, so it'll be interesting to see if anything more comes about of it. I mean, I know I was doing an independent investigation right now to kind of look through everything and see what's up, see what else they can kind of dig up. Um, obviously, they put Chris Doyle on administrative leave, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little later, but I think that was kind of the right move for Iowa in the end because you don't want people assuming um, that you kinda, you're kind of frantically freaking out or you're kind of getting a little worried. Um, you don't want to make snap judgments, and I think Iowa did did the right thing of putting him on administrative leave. Sean, is there any inkling if Chris Doyle is done at Iowa? I mean, does his son's entrance into that transfer portal mean that his dad is going to be gone too? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far yet. I think um, the big thing there is just or Dylan just wanted a fresh start. I mean, I know I've talked to a couple of his teammates, and then obviously they posted on social media as well that. In reality, they lost a brother. That's one of their favorite teammates on the team. A lot of them wanted to stay, actually, or wanted Doyle, Dylan to stay, actually. But I think kind of just the aurora around his dad and everything 
everything going on kind of made it tough for him to really feel comfortable in a sense, no matter how tight he was with his teammates. Um, I think he just wanted a fresh start elsewhere. And I, I don't blame him for a second. Now, as far as that being tied into Chris Doyle being fired, I wouldn't go that far yet. Now, I think there's a lot of speculation that he will end up getting fired. But I think in the end, um, it's more kind of, how do I want to phrase this? Um, I don't think it's a done deal yet. Let's say that. I mean, I know that Chris kind of wants, or Doyle, according to some of our sources, kind of wants to fight this thing through, kind of see where it goes. Um, Because he wants to come back to Iowa City. He wants to avenge himself. Obviously, there are a lot of people that don't want him to, um, just based on these allegations. But I think, really, his, his mindset is that he wants to come back. He wants to be back. He wants to fight as much as possible. Um, but I think in the end, I think Dylan just kind of wanted a fresh start because it's never easy to really be, to go through something like that and kind of want to really start something new, you know? Do you recall any sort of thing like this? I mean, not this exact um, specific situation, but any sort of scenario in which Iowa football was in such a negative light nationally before in the time that you've covered the team and then over even the last X number of years, 10, 15, 20 years under Kirk Ferentz, do you recall anything that is even remotely similar to this? I mean, I've been covering the team for the past two or three years. I haven't really had anything in that time frame, but I think you go back to a couple of years ago, um, 2011, I believe, um, when I think it was, I'm not sure how many exactly, I think it was 13 players, 13 Iowa players, um, went through a workout and then had a series of rhabdomolysis. I, th- I don't know if I'm spelling that right, but people, it's AKA it's called rhabdo. So what that is, it's an acute breakdown of muscle fibers resulting in the release of a mu- muscle fiber content into the bloodstream, affecting the kidneys ability to clear toxins. So basically the story is a bunch of players were going through a workout. Keep in mind, Chris Doyle was a strength and conditioning coach at that time. Um, went through rigorous workouts and went through this, suffered this. I mean, just because they were going way too hard and really just sore. And it was really, it wasn't pretty, um, just based on what I'm reading and what I've heard in the past. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of something that really has been serious before, uh, to the Iowa program kind of looked at them in a bad light. Um, but you know, I mean, I think what the Iowa program really kind of just on the national scene outside these couple of stores, I mean, you know, it's, it's known for being kind of just that blue collar type two-star, three-star, three-star guys um, being developed, put into the NFL. There's never really stuff like this that kind of comes out about them. Um, Not saying that there would be about other programs, but it's kind of very, it's very, very unfortunate. um, But then again, very, very odd for a program like this to be mentioned in that sort of light as it's spoken so highly um, by some of other college football programs and other college football fans, media experts, everything. Does this situation at all change your opinion uh, for the 2020 season for them? And after an off season of, of bizarre variables that we could never predict how we're going to affect this season, I mean, does this last week and then we'll see how it plays out over the next two months um, or you haven't changed any sort of predictions or expectations for them in 2020? I think it's too early to tell at this point. Um, I think 
what the vibe I've gotten over the past couple of days um, has kind of just been this team's gotten closer. And you've seen it over social media as well that the players have come out and really spoke out against, obviously, all the issues going on in our world. And like I said, I mean, the players I've talked to kind of just said that, hey, like this is bringing us closer than we ever were before. Um, There seems to be this new energy, this new shock the world sort of mindset um, that we have in our program. So I think I think in the end, it's going to be a positive. I think it's going to find ways to bring people close together. I think that's only going to help them in the end. Now, if there's more staff changes, which could be a possibility, um, we'll we'll have to see how the investigation goes. Then I'll be interested to see if there's any more. I think that might depends on what what staff changes, if there are any um, that think could find interesting and kind of make this season a little more weary than we expected. In terms of recruiting, something that you deal with pretty heavily, any word if if this is – I know it's so – I mean, we're talking here only, what, three or four days after this all really went down here. In those three or four days, any word if this is affecting their recruiting uh, for the next couple of classes? I know for this 2021 class, it hasn't seemed to really affect any of the commits. Um, I put in our message boards about a couple, maybe a day or two afterwards, um, kind of just a vibe. I got talking to some commits off the record that really, I mean – like I said before, I think it just brings everyone closer. Um, obviously, you don't want to have that type of that type of mentality or that type, but you don't want to be going into a setting like that. But I think some of them kind of feel refreshed in a sense because they know that that problem is out right now, especially the African-American commits and recruits in the future. I think they understand that, hey, like this was brought to people's attention and now it seems to be getting fixed. So Obviously, actions speak louder than words. They're still still to prove it, but I think I think in the end it was probably probably the best move at this point. Um, I mean, I I do think recruits are going to feel a little a little maybe uncomfortable, or I mean, when they look at Iowa now, they're kind of going to be like, oh, like this happened then. But I think what Iowa's kind of sold them on, or sold the commits on, especially is like, hey, like we're going to find ways to turn this around, like. We're going to use this as a positive. I know it sounds weird, but we're going to use this as a positive, kind of help us steer the ship and help us be better because that's what we need. Um, we don't want to look at this as a way to really bring back the program. We look at it as a way to propel it and bring it to new heights because we feel that all this stuff that we're going through and all this stuff that this team is going through, we're going to show that, like, hey, like, adversity, even when adversity strikes, we can we can find ways to improve and we can find ways to develop. And I think that's what – that's what a lot of the a lot of commits and a lot of the recruits in the future classes. That's the kind of mindset they have right now. Sean, last thing for you here. Looking at the big picture, do you believe there is any loss of faith in Kirk Ferentz to run this program, or there's still 100% full confidence from the the powers to be at Iowa? That's a good question. Um, I think it'll be I think it'll be interesting to see how the investigation goes. I don't want to jump to any conclusions at this point but i definitely think i mean i know from the national pundits there's been a couple like hey like we need to like they need to fire him like right now like why does he even have a job right now um it'll be interesting to see i think i definitely think it's kind of concerning that he didn't know this was going on during his 21 years um especially with a guy like chris doyle being essentially his right hand man in iowa city um but i think Kirk has such a good reputation, such being like a genuine person, just a really down to earth guy that I think people kind of, I think people trust him. And I know recruits and 
commits have trusted him and trust the culture that he built, the good culture, and kind of trust that he can help steer the ship around. And I think the position coaches play a big deal in that as well because they're they're a little younger. I mean, I mean Kirk is Kirk is experienced, but some of the position coaches that he has have been vital in the recruiting process and vital in just like relationships in general because the head coach can't can't talk to I mean they can have a relationship but they can't have a the position coaches are able to have that kind of tighter relationship with other kids more than Kirk Ferentz is able to have and I think those guys have been crucial in this process and crucial in kind of just instilling in people's minds that hey like we're going to turn this thing around like you got to trust Kirk you got to trust us you got to trust what we're telling you and we're going to figure it out so I think in terms of Kirk Ferentz maybe there's a little more concern um from how he can run a program but I think in the end, this is going to be big, big for his legacy in terms of how he kind of responds from this and how his program can respond from it. All right, as the story unfolds, you can find Sean online at 24-7 Sports, Hawkeye Insider 24-7, and on Twitter at sbach 247 Hey, Sean, thanks for the insight. Have a good rest of the week. Awesome. Thank you, Andrew.